Alrighty, well we're coming to the time uh, of our gathering now. We're going to be looking at God's Word together. Uh, Again, if you're new or visiting, welcome. And we have been going through this series, Truths That Transform. Uh, We love at our church just going through books of the Bible from start to finish as much as we can, unless they're really long, then we tend to either break them up or skip bits and pieces here and there. But generally, that's what we love to do. But this series is quite different. We're picking some truths that you, you kind of need to go to much of the Bible to get all the details from a particular truth. And we believe that if they land for us, if we understand them and trust them deeply as we ought, then we will be transformed, not just as individuals, but as a community. And so this morning, we're looking at the truth of reconciliation from Ephesians chapter 2. So open up your Bibles there for us, Ephesians uh, chapter 2. It'll be up here on the screen for you as well if you don't have a Bible. So we're reading from verse 13 uh, to verse 21. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 13 to 22, and I'll be reading from the ESV. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, for who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit, to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, something profound is happening in this passage in Ephesians. It begins with people being far off, people being hostile, alienated from one another. It's not a pretty picture. There seems to be division and um, fighting and, and not a united people. But at the end, people are brought near. People are no longer strangers, but all of a sudden they're citizens and members of your household. It's not just that they're brought together to each other, but to you. So much so, those who are far off from you are brought so near that you now live inside of them by your Spirit. And we together as a community are being built up to be a temple that you might dwell in. Lord, what a wonderful picture. What happens at the heart of this passage shows us how that transition happens and how people are transformed. So would you speak to us now 
Teach us the wonderful truths of reconciliation that we might know them, trust them, experience them and that we might be transformed into your likeness into the image of Christ and to the church that you desire and long for. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we're looking at the truth of reconciliation this morning and we're going to see these three things. Number one, God reconciles us to himself. Number two, God reconciles us to each other. And number three, God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm just going to jump straight into it. So let's look at the first one. And you'll get the idea of what reconciliation is as we go along. Number one, God reconciles us to himself. Now we started looking at this truth kind of last week when we heard of how Jesus has dealt with God's anger towards our rebellion and rejection of him. You see, God is rightfully angry at, um, at how we treated him uh, for our ungratefulness towards everything that he's given us. Uh, God was rightfully angry and is at how we treat other people, people who he made in his image and his likeness, people who he wants uh, us to love and to honor and respect, but we don't. And so he's rightfully angry. We also saw that we rob God of his glory. When we, when we take the credit that he deserves to ourselves and say, hey, look how good I am, or we give it to other things other than him. And so fair enough that God is angry, right? Think about it a bit like this. Imagine for a second you're a teenager um, living with your parents and you're too young to be employed. So, you know, you're not financially contributing at all to the household. By the way, for some of you, this will be easier than for others to imagine this. Um, and when I think about what it means to be a teenager, you'll realize, man, that was not what it was like back then. But just work with me here, okay? So you're a teenager. Imagine, you, you know, you go to the fridge and you just, you just do whatever you want there. You just drink juice, you drink milk, you eat the leftovers, you, all the snacks, whatever. It's all there. Uh, imagine you go to the pantry, open it up, you just eat whatever, chips, cookies, and this is all of, obviously my favorites, all the peanut butter and whatever is in the pantry, you, you eat it. You watch TV in the living room. You use the internet, everything for free. You haven't contributed anything. And when you want clothes, you just say, Mom, I want clothes. Dad, I want a new cricket set and a computer. And imagine you never say thank you. You're treating your parents horribly, I think. And not only them, you treat your siblings badly too. You know, you bully your little brother you boss your little sister around and get her to go and get stuff from the fridge of you and do this and that. And it's almost like she's your little maid. Uh, you, you, you're fighting all the time, insulting and swearing at your older sibling. You're horrible to those around you. Not only that, you just give your parents no credit for your life, right? It's not, it's not as if your mom was carrying you for nine months and, you know, went through tremendous pain to birth you into this world. No, no, no. It's not like your parents literally kept you alive by feeding you, changing your nappies, giving you baths, um, and clothing you. Um, you're, you're just in a great school, right? It's just a great school. It's, it's not as if your parents are spending lots of their hard-earned money to pay to get you in that school. No, it's just, I don't know, it just happened. Um, there's food on the table. Man, you're such a lucky guy um, to have that. It's not as if your parents are spending all their money to fill up the pantry, fill up the fridge, spend hours in front of the stove. 
Uh, and, and you're great at cricket, you know, you just are. It's not, you know, that your dad spent hours throwing the ball at you in the backyard when you were a kid, drove you to your matches, talked about things, drove you to all your training sessions. That's got nothing to do with it. You're just great at cricket. You see, if you acted like that as a young teenager, how do you think your relationship will be with your family? Uh, how would your parents be feeling? My gut feel is there'd be a lot of hostility, disunity, and hurt. And it's hard to even believe a child acting like this, I know. But really, this is how we treat God. This is exactly how we treat God, as one of His creatures uh, in His world, and how we treat others around us as well. We spoke about it last week and how God is rightfully angry at humanity for living this way. And, and we also saw a few weeks back when Tony was here, he spoke on sin, and, and how part of sin is being hostile towards God. And so I'm not going to go over all those details again. I think the illustration is sufficient for now. But last week, as I said, that's kind of where we started touching on what is expanding, being expanded today. We saw this line. Remember that one weird word in, in Romans 3.25? So it talks about Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We saw that God put Jesus forward as a sacrifice of propitiation through His death on the cross. Now propitiation, if you weren't here last week, uh, is a sacrifice to turn away anger. Okay, it's a bit like when you do something wrong to someone or you hurt them, especially when you're younger and you go and, you know, you get your pocket money together and you buy mummy or daddy a chocolate or, you know, maybe you're a bit older and you buy your wife a bunch of flowers, you know, turn the anger away. Hey, let's be friends again. That's what this is. And so for those who accept Jesus by faith, God is not angry with them at all. He took out his anger on the Lord Jesus when he died on the cross. But here's the question, okay? Here is the question. Are you happy with simply having a God that's not angry at you? Great. Oh, great. Yeah, I trust Jesus. And so God's not angry with me anymore. I have, I have nothing to be scared of uh, in, 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 when it comes to standing before my Creator one day. Okay, now let's move on with life. Is that kind of how you think? Would you be happy with that? You know, just like you, you know tons of people in the world who are not angry at you, um, you know, there's probably billions of people on the planet that, that, that are not angry at you whatsoever. And you have whatever that relationship looks like. Are you just happy for God to be like that, the relationship that you've got with Him? You see, let me tell you this, God wouldn't be happy with that sort of relationship. Uh, he wants more than that. You see, simply having a God that is not angry at you is, is just religion again. But the Christian God wants to enter into a covenant relationship with you, like a marriage. He wants to have you close, not just distant and not be angry at you, but He wants you to come close. Now today, we're going to, in each of the three points, we're going to look at three different passages, so bear with me, but I've put them all on the screen for you. Have a look at this from Colossians 1, verse 19 to 22. For in Him, so that's in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Uh, You see, justification, which we looked at last week, is about God dealing with all of our sin and its consequences and, and dealing with his anger towards it. Now, reconciliation is this. It's about now getting God and us together. The anger is gone. The the debt has been paid for, but we're still apart. And so reconciliation is about getting us together. Now that our sin and God's anger towards us has been dealt with, there's nothing preventing us from being united. And that's what God wants. That's why Jesus died. We were alienated through our sin. And through reconciliation in Jesus, we are now united. We we were hostile towards God, but now through reconciliation in Jesus, we actually have peace. We were doing evil deeds, but through reconciliation in Jesus, we are presented, as it says there, as holy, blameless, and above reproach before God. It's wonderful. Having a God that's not angry with you, that's okay. But having a God that's near you, that's at peace with you, and that sees you as perfect, gee, well, that's way better. That's a God that wants to do life with you and walk with you through everything. That's reconciliation through Christ. And that's the good news of Christianity. Now, this, as our series suggests, should transform us. And I wonder if it's transformed you. Has it? If, if you believe, for example, that God is a distant God, but, but He's not angry at you, I think you've understood part of the gospel, but not all of it. You see, where God wants you, and, and the best place for every single person on this planet, is to be close to Him, right on His chest, if you like. Now, I don't know, if you, have you ever watched heavyweight boxing? Uh, apparently, there was a, a pretty big fight again just recently. And what blows my mind is that the safest place from one of those big blokes to not knock you out, the safest place is right near them. (laughs) Have you seen that? You know, it's like you pretty much just give them a huge hug and they can't do anything to you. Have you seen that? Like, so you have these guys, one guy's being smashed around all the time. He's tired. He knows. It's just one shot away and then he'll be lying on the floor. And they kind of run into the other one and just give them this big man hug where their arms are out here and they can't hit them and he just holds really tight. And that's the safest place. Have you seen that? And it's a bit like that with God. The safest place for you is in his arms. Now, I know, I know the analogy doesn't quite work, okay? Because when you're a Christian, when you've put your faith in Jesus, God isn't angry with you anymore, like the boxer who's trying to knock you out. But we can maybe say that we can go to him like that because Jesus is lying on the floor. He's taken all our punches for us, all our hits, and therefore we can get close to God. But you know what? Even though you trust God, even though your anger has been removed, he's still holy, he's still powerful, and he's still just, and we never make light of him. But as big and as strong as he is, we're safe when we're close to him. And I wonder if you are that close. If you are, I think you've probably understood the, uh, the truth of, of, of reconciliation. If you're not, 
then you might have to think through it a bit more. So that's the first point. God reconciles us to himself. The second one is God reconciles us to each other. Now, in our Western world of big-time individuality, we can often act like this as Christians in the church. You know, all our beliefs, all of our thinking, all of our actions uh, is all very much just uh, between me and God, all of this. And there's some truth to that, and there's a place for that, but it shouldn't be all of it. If that's the only way we view our relationship with God, well, as an individual, I think we'll miss out on the beauty and the blessing and the belonging that God intends for us as the church. And what we see under this point is that God uh, not only reconciles us to himself, but he also reconciles us to each other. Have a look at this. This is the passage that we read earlier from Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Why? So that he might create in himself one new man or humanity in place of the two. And so he makes peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. You see, here we have people who are far from God and people who are close to God. The Jews are those that are close to God. They, they've, they've, they, they're walking in a relationship with you. They are his people with, with his word and they've got a history of dealings with God. The Gentiles or the unbelievers are those who are far off. Now, they might believe in other gods and, and, and different deities, but they don't have God's promises or his word or the hope that he provides through those promises. And between these two groups, we find hostility again. Just like there was hostility between us and God and an alienation in our relationship with God before we trust in Jesus, so we find that uh, with, with each other. In fact, the hostility and the alienation is because there's a dividing wall. Notice that the hostility and the, and the alienation um, doesn't result in the wall, if you like, and I'll get to the wall in a minute. It's there because of the wall. Uh, and this wall, as we see there in verse 15, is the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. You see, God's law is what caused hostility between God's people and those who were not His people. You say, God's people, let's think about this. God's people would say something like, hey, come and be part of God's people. He loves everyone. We'd love for you to join us. Oh, really? Oh, count us in. We'd love to do that. Oh, well, hold on, hold on. Well, you also, you know, we've got this big law. That's what God's people would say. You have to follow all these laws and then you can join us. You know, you have to, so you have to dress like us. You have to come to all these annual festivals. Uh, you have to eat certain food. You have to go to the temple regularly. You have to make sacrifice. And if you're a bloke, you have to get the snip circumcision as well. Oh, gee, okay. Well, that sounds like quite a bit to join the party. <laughs> um, but hey, you know what? I'll try my best, just like I do with all the other gods that I'm serving. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, sorry, did we miss this bit? We actually 
have the only God. There's only one God. So you can't keep your gods and then join us as well. So it's either them or us. Okay, so, oh, so what? So you're saying what I'm doing is wrong and, and you're saying you can't accept me until I give up everything to follow your laws. Well, you're just a beep. You can fill in the expletive you might have been called in the past. You see, you can imagine how this hostility and alienation could easily part of this world that Paul is writing in. But you know what? It can also be part of our world. And I think it very much is. You see, we can also have laws, as we saw last week. uh, Laws that we believe are best. And if you do them, we think this is what good people need to be. And this is what, what, what is best for you in your life. And when people don't abide by those laws, then we remove ourselves from them. And maybe we even judge them and we distance ourselves from them. And it might even go as bad as um, being hostile to them. And when we have these laws or standards, if you like, division can easily happen. I mean, you can have disunity and hostility over something as simple as washing the dishes, right? Tell me you've experienced this. When Beck and I got married, we had so many fights about washing dishes. I would tell her, stop doing it the wrong way. Do it my way. Do it the right way, you know? And it was so weird how I just had all these things in my, you know, how you fill up the, the, the bowls and how you wash the dishes. No, no, you don't have to rinse the soap off. You know, are you one of these people? Do you wash it out of the soap and just put it straight on or do they need to be rinsed first? All these kinds of things. You can fight about those things so easily. Or there's more serious ones like your stance on marriage or homosexuality or transgenderism. What people believe about those things these days divide like crazy, very quickly. And hate comes even quicker with lots of name-calling. And for us as Christians, we might have similar things. We might invite our not-yet-Christian neighbor along to church. And then say, well, look, when you do come, can you please just stop swearing? Or, oh, no, no, you can't wear thongs to church, really? You know, do we have standards like that? It creates walls. It creates obstacles, as it's called in the Bible. Obstacles to unity and for the people hearing about the reconciliation that Jesus has won for them. And so what does God do about this? Well, he sends Jesus to break down the wall. And to make peace between everyone. Look again at verse 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace. This is talking about Jesus. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he completely lived up to God's standards. He fulfilled the law, not just in a basic way, right, like the Ten Commandments, but in the way that Jesus actually explains in the Sermon on the Mount, where he goes much deeper. He he doesn't just fulfill the the letter of the law, but actually he fulfills the spirit of the law, what, what the intentions were behind all the laws. And yet, as we saw last week, he went to the cross and died. He was crucified as a lawbreaker. Not, not held up as a law keeper, even though he had done no wrong. But that was God's plan. That was God's plan to make peace. Because now through faith in Jesus, he has taken your sins away and the anger um, that was there. He has removed your sin as we saw and he has given you his righteousness. 
And, and he's standing before God. And that's how God now saves people. Only through faith in Jesus and not through the law at all. And so in doing this, Jesus obliterates this law, right? And, and what he does is he humbles the religious elite who keeps pointing to the law and says, oh, look, I can do the law, and you can't over there on the other side. You can't join us. You're not good enough. He humbles them and says, you're not good enough. And he exalts the non-religious who thought that they weren't good enough and they didn't have it in them to do the law, which they don't. But he lifts them up and he says, you know what? Neither of you are good enough. Neither of you. I am good enough though. And if you trust in me, in my death, uh, your punishment will be counted to my name and my righteousness will be counted to yours. You see, the thing that separated people, Jesus has removed. And it's interesting to think about this. It's interesting to note that there weren't two groups of people separated by a wall, kind of like the Berlin Wall, and now Jesus has knocked the wall over, and now the two groups are one. Okay, that's not quite how it works. Have you, have you noticed it? Have a look there at the second half of verse 15 again. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both in body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Did you see that? Jesus didn't take the two groups and he makes them one, which I think some people would believe if they hold on to some sort of special place of the Israelites, that somehow they will be a part of everyone and, and we will all become the true Israelites in a sense. Um, that's not what this is saying. Jesus takes these two groups and, and he doesn't make one out of them. He actually creates a third group, a brand new humanity in the place of the two. He says the religious people, they're not good enough. The non-religious people, they're not good enough either. Only I am good enough. And it's only through placing your faith in me that you become part of this new humanity. And none of the things that cause division and hostility with these other two groups uh, is part of this new people in Jesus. You leave it all behind. You become a brand new person in Christ. And there is now peace between those who are reconciled to Jesus and reconciled to one another. He is our peace. Now, how should this transform us? Well, I think if this unity and peace that Jesus has brought about at a very, very dear cost to himself, if this is there and it was so important to him, we should not make light of it, right? How, and, and here's a question for you. How precious is the unity of this church for you? I know there's a church down the road near where we live that's called Unity Chapel. Maybe something's happened there where there wasn't a lot of unity, and so they changed the name to show, well, this is really important to us. How important is the unity of this church for you? It was more precious to Jesus than his own life. How about for you? Or how much do you value peace in the church? This church or any of Jesus' churches for that matter. You see, Jesus faced God's anger and his wrath so that we might have peace with, with our Creator God and with one another. Jesus, it's, it's remarkable to think of that even because even before Jesus' death, he was distressed and he was torn apart. Remember at the garden when he was praying, he was sweating blood. Because he knew what he was about to face. 
And he was split open, literally, so that we can be brought together and be united. If the reconciliation of people to himself and to one another was so important to God, surely it should be important to us too. We should take it very seriously. So if we ever do cause disunity and unrest and break peace, we must have a very good reason for it. May it never be something like, oh, I don't like that guy, he sings so loud. He sings out of tune. Um, You know, or, man, I just cannot be friends with those guys. I can't get over how badly they dress. Or I can't believe that you don't use the the King's James Bible only. You know, that's a deal breaker for me. I'm going. Really? Let's not take lightly the unity and the peace that Jesus has achieved and worked for so hard, and let's instead maintain it. I mean, it's Jesus that says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Let's not be divisive, unnecessary. There is a place for it. Praise God for Martin Luther that stood up against the Roman Catholic Church. But we've got to be very careful if we want to go down that route. Make sure it's something serious. Another way God's reconciling of us should transform us is to love and bring in strangers and newcomers into our church, surely. And do you you know where the loneliest place in our church is or can be? It can be in one of these seats, maybe in a row that's the same as yours. New person comes in. And it's taken them a lot of guts and a lot of boldness to finally come to church. And they sit in a seat and they're just thinking, man, is someone going to notice me? Is someone going to say hello? Do people even care? And they could sit there for two, three, four weeks without anyone saying hello. And so you can have new people feeling at their most lonely when they're surrounded by hundreds of people right here in this room. And I don't think that'll please God. They might go through for coffee and think the same thing. Will someone talk to me? Will someone say hello? Does it matter that I'm here? Am I welcome? If Jesus died to bring those who are far off, close and near, I'm sure we can put our pride aside, right? Even maybe we're shy. Maybe that's something we hide behind. We can put it aside and walk up to a stranger and say hello. I've noticed you're new. My name is so-and-so. Or those who were strangers and aliens, Jesus died for so that they can be fellow citizens of heaven and members of God's family. And I just wonder, do we sometimes think we're better than Jesus? That we won't do that to God's family here and bring strangers and newcomers in. If someone's, you know, I think there's a legitimate thing where this might not happen. If someone sneaks in right at the end, we're already going, and they sneak out just as we finish, and we don't welcome them, well, so be it. But if they don't, please, let's be like Jesus and go out of our way to show them care. You know, why don't we do this? I was thinking if this was like a New Year's resolution talk, which we don't really do, but would we, I would love to say to people, why don't you resolve to take the first five minutes after every single gathering and say, I'm going to look around and see if I can spot someone that's new and just say hello to them. Hey, I noticed you're new here. Oh man, I'm so glad you're here. 
And don't lie. If you're not glad that they're here, just move on to the next question. But hopefully you are. You know, so I'm so glad you're here. What? Tell, tell me. Come tell me your story. Let's go out through for coffee. Tell me. How did God bring you to this point? I'd love to know. I think we can do that. That's how someone who has been brought in and near by God through Jesus will try and bring others in and near. Take a step in faith today and try it. I think you will be blessed and you'll be surprised what God will do. So that's the second thing. God reconciles us to each other. And thirdly and lastly, God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, God has done everything to reconcile himself to his enemies so that they can be citizens of his kingdom and so they can be members of his family. He wants to be near to all people in a real uh, living and deep relationship. And he's done everything for that to happen. And people need to hear about it so they can accept that gracious gift that he's offering. And right now is the time when God's favor is upon all people that turn to him and accept this gift. As, as, as it says uh, in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, but later in the one that we're going to look at now, now is the day of salvation. But it won't always be like this. The period of grace that God has given us to tell people so that they can turn will finish at some point. And so we have been given this message of reconciliation to go share it with others. And we need to make the most of it now. Have a look at this with me. So this is 2 Corinthians 5. I told you we're going to jump around a bit. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 18. Uh, This is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Am I missing something here? Yes, I am. Uh, This is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. That's what we saw last week. And entrusting to us the the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Wow. So God was reconciling the world to himself, the world that rebelled against him. That's often what the phrase world means, is his world that he created that rejected him and rebelled against him. God was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus' death. And because of his death, we can now tell people confidently, hey, if you trust in Jesus, God is not counting your trespasses against you, none of them, but he will count Jesus' righteousness to you. Jesus has paid for your wrongs, for your debt. And so you can now turn to God confidently and have Jesus standing before him. And it's not, it's not that we could tell people this. It's that we should tell people this. It's that we must tell people this. This is a message God has given to us as soon as he saves, saved us. If you've been reconciled to God, then you know the message of reconciliation. And so you have it, and you have also received the ministry of reconciliation. You see, we are ambassadors for Jesus. What does that mean? We are his representatives here on earth, behind enemy lines, if you like. 
And God is making His appeal through us to His enemies and say, come, I want to be reconciled to you. Now, I don't know if you've seen one of these forms in the foyer. This is uh, a serving form that we've got here at our church. And this is for people who are interested in serving here at church. And, and on the back here are a bunch of different ministries that you can pick. Um, but you know what, what ministry is not on here? The Ministry of Reconciliation. You know why? Because it's not one that you can pick or not pick. It's not optional, right? It's not optional. You're already signed up for that one through your conversion. The question is, are you fulfilling it? Are you fulfilling your responsibility of doing the ministry of reconciliation through sharing the message of reconciliation, the good news of Jesus? Are you trying to be a better representative of Jesus? Are you praying for God to provide opportunities for Him to use you to make His appeal to people, to those who hate Him, to those who are far off, to those who are strangers to His promises and His grace and His kindness? There are definitely some people who want to draw near. They just don't know how. They're craving for true life. They're tired of the consequences of sin and rebelling against God and they want to break free. And you know what? You've got the key to loosen their bonds and for them to draw near to God and be united to Him and have life to the full. You've got the message that declares them innocent, all of that weight just taken off their shoulders. Will you hold it back, that message? that declares them innocent, that frees them from their debt and not fulfill the ministry of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation? I hope not. The ministry of reconciliation, as kind of I've just suggested, is first and foremostly about reconciling God to a sinful and hostile world. But it's also about reconciling work among each other. Okay, on beho- uh, uh, in the church, among Christians. Did you notice that? So at the end of verse 20, uh, Paul says this. He says, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul's writing to a church made up of Christians, and he tells them to be reconciled to God. How does that work? Well, the reality is we will have times when we must bring back people who have drifted off who have become alienated to God's people and who have become often hostile to the truth of the gospel. We will have times when brothers and sisters in Christ are hostile towards one another and acting like enemies. They need to be reconciled through Jesus. He is our peace. There will be times when you see, I've seen this a few times, and I love it, well, I'll tell you the bit that I love. You, will, you could go through there for morning tea or you're at playgroup or you're doing GBC Kids or whatever and you see two kids fighting. You know, one hits the other one or whatever. Next minute there's tears. Take the opportunity. Run in. I mean, just watch out if the parents are there as well. Don't step on their toes. But run in and bring reconciliation. Say, hey, hey hold on. What did you just do? I don't think that was what. Do you want to say sorry to little Jenny over here for hitting her? Jenny, do you forgive Johnny for doing that? 
Oh, guys, this is wonderful. Give each other a hug. And you've just reconciled them. It's so simple sometimes, isn't it? The ministry of reconciliation. Do it wherever you are in the church. And here's why I think you should do it. Another reason. You see, Jesus has united us and he's brought about peace. And so what do you think Satan's going to want to do? He's not going to want that. He is going to be doing everything in his power to undo that. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians 2, earlier in our passage, Paul says, we are not ignorant of Satan's uh, designs. And he says that this design is for people who are meant to be forgiving each other, holding back that forgiveness and remaining hostile and and, you know, being divisive and disunited, that is what Satan wants, so that we can drift apart and the unity that Jesus has won is destroyed. That is what Satan will be trying and trying and trying to do, that we aren't reconciled right from two years old all the way through. Let's not be outwitted by him. Let's be ministers of reconciliation and do it. And pray for what we see in the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So that's it for today, guys. Reconciliation, the three things. God reconciles us to himself. Uh, God reconciles us to each other. And God gives us the message of reconciliation and says, go and do the ministry of reconciliation. I want to appeal to a hostile world through you. Not, not just through me. Did you notice it doesn't say the preacher? Through all of us. Let's pray. Father God, what a thought it is that you would love us, your enemies, like this. We saw that you have dealt with our debt. You have dealt with your anger towards us. And as if that is not good enough, you'd bring us to yourself as close as we can possibly be with your Spirit living inside of us. And we together as your people are being built together in a dwelling place for you. Wow, what a wonderful thought that we have gone from alienated, strangers, hostile towards you to being citizens of heaven, members of your household. What a wonderful thing it is you've done, Jesus. May we be eternally grateful And may we be not just a reconciled people, but fulfill our ministry of reconciliation. To do it with our wives and our husband, with our kids, in our immediate families, with our friends. That wherever disunity and division and a lack of forgiveness would rear its head, we would be there. Bringing about peace through the gospel of Jesus. Lord, thank you so much that we have this message. And thank you for what you have done, Jesus. There is no one on earth that can do this except for you. You are our peace, and may we cling to you and you alone. And we pray this for our very good, for your glory, and the flourishing and unity of our church. Amen.